Love and salutations, good people. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Slow Wealth Podcast with Kendra. And this is Ramon. And we are so glad that you have taken time out of your day to allow us to bless you with our um, with our experiences of real estate so that you can live a much more wealthy and prosperous life. Um, today, I'm going to give you a, a great affirmation. Um, success is stumbling from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. So no matter what, just make sure you stay abreast, stay motivated, stay enthusiastic about that goal. I watched something on television the other day, uh, the lady for It Cosmetics. She said she didn't make her first dollar for the first three years of her um, of her business endeavor. She did everything from her living room. She got on QVC. Her husband, <laughs> after after they sold 6,000 units of makeup concealer, um, her husband said, you know what? We don't have to give up the house. We, we, we doing it now, babe. You know, uh-huh. we, we, we can live. We can eat. That was one thing that she said. She said that he was like, we can eat now. And she sold her company to L'Oreal Cosmetics, I think, for $1.2 billion. Uh, billion. Billion. Oof. So yeah, success is not something that comes overnight. Um, <laughs> that's why, you know, hence the name Slow Wealth. Um, because it, you got to take it slow. Yeah. And then you don't want, see, wealth is better than riches and being rich. You know what I'm saying? We think of rich. He's like, all right, anybody can get rich overnight just off of anything. But we want to talk about wealth. Wealth is generational, right? That's something you can pass down. So that's why the name is Slow Wealth. Slow Wealth, yes. Um, So we'll get right into the podcast today. Uh, But before we do, I want you to tell the good people uh, something good that's happened to you since the last time we had spoken to them. What good has happened to us? I say you. Oh, me? <laughs> yes, oh. you. Well, uh, I guess we are for punishment, you know, the whole quarantine yeah. up here in Texas. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We can get out and enjoy the sunshine. You know, that's so that's good. Everybody loves the sunshine. <laughs> hey, there you go. So that hey, that's good. That was a good thing right there. Yeah, that's definitely good. And another thing that's happened great for us is that we almost have our property, uh, our apartment complex stabilized. Almost. Not quite. We're getting there, though. Yeah. We're getting there. It's, it's still on the rehab, so uh, it's a little work in progress. So it, it, it'll take a few more months. Yeah. We're we, we, we on track. We're on track. on track. Okay. We ain't stopped. Quarantine ain't stopped us. Even from home, we we still working. We still putting it in. So, I think the quarantine has probably even helped. Mm-hmm. As as I hope it's helped a lot of other people. You know, you 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 take advantage of this time when other people are chilling. You know what I'm saying? And, and watching Netflix all day, you put you put in the work, and it's gonna show when the economy opens back up and everybody's back outside. It's gonna show who was really Putting in work. Yeah, who, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, who really take advantage of this time? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Definitely take advantage of this time. Everybody's motivation is different. Um, and, and we just want to make sure that we keep our audience motivated uh, with their, you know, endeavors. Sometimes it can get difficult. You do, you know, pr- you might procrastinate 
But as long as you get back on track, it's not... I think people, you know, once they get into something and they like, you know, they get off track for a couple of days or a week, you know, they think they can't go back to it. You just go back right back to where you left off, you know, because it's easier to finish something than to, you know, stop and start somewhere else. I mean, you want to give yourself a sense of pride of, you know, completing something, not because it's what society wants you to do, but because it gives you that self-fulfillment and that also makes you feel a little bit more successful about yourself. Um, but yeah, we uh, we should start the podcast, shouldn't we? Let's start it. Let's start get it. to it. Let's get to it. Get All right. Information. Okay, so as we've been doing and, and found that what works for us is for me to ask the questions and Ramon to elaborate on... Um, on the questions that I ask. Now you will hear some pages turn. That's me. Because I'm, <laughs> I'm going through my list of questions. And if you have any questions, please feel free to um, send us an email at invest at slowwealth.com. Again, that's I-N-V-E-S-T at S-L-O-E-W-E-A-L-T-H dot com. And Facebook. And you can hit us on Facebook. Slow wealth. Slow wealth, baby. All right. So we're going to talk about our first deals. First deal. Well, first deals, because we had two first deals. One yeah. of them we we backed out of. So we'll get into um, that today, the first deal that we backed out of, and then our first deal that we actually had under contract and purchased. Copy that. All right. Okay. So um, let's talk about our first deals. Um, our deals were located in the Seattle-Tacoma area. Um, we purchased a, a four unit in Auburn, in the Auburn area of Washington, um, which is about 20 minutes from Tacoma in good traffic and about 25 minutes 30 minutes in good traffic to get to seattle so it was like that right you know, in the middle it was right in the middle i mean it was like a great you know place to live it was smaller but it was you know it was metropolitan it was cool we we grew to love it we grew to love it um our little corner of the world as we would call it um so we'll talk about how we qualified for uh, the Auburn property. But prior to that Auburn property, we went under contract for a property we call the Cedar property, which is in Tacoma. And we talked a little bit about the Cedar property in some past, uh, excuse me, in some previous podcasts. And the Cedar property was the property that kind of, oh my God, how should I put this? Broke our cherry? <laughs> <laughs> really oh my cherry. god! Turns R rated. <laughs> I know. I'm so. I don't know how to put that. If if anybody out there knows me, I am really, really trying my hardest not to curse or say anything that's inappropriate. So I'm gonna go outside of myself and be as professional as I can. So y'all stay with me here. But um. The Cedar property was the act, the first actual property that we had under contract. The Cedar property was four townhomes. Um, they sat side by side. 
So yeah, they, they didn't have anybody living on top of them. They just had somebody living either to the right or left door of them. And um, it was in a pretty cool area, actually, to me, of Tacoma. Was it close to downtown or was it close to that Tacoma Mall? I can't remember. It was it was close to Tacoma Mall, and it was it was in a it was in a nice area because it was Whole Foods was maybe five seven minutes away. Um, I believe Trader Joe's about the same. Like I said, Tacoma Mall, the the uh, I thirty five was again maybe three minutes away. Um, the area, the street didn't look that great, but it was in a prime location that now is a real good location uh, in Tacoma. And again, Tacoma being, I believe, still one of the hottest markets in the country. Yeah, the Cedar property um, was the property that we worked with our first uh, <laughs> our first lender and uh, real estate broker um, in Washington. And, and it just, it wasn't gonna work for us. Um, the Cedar property needed a lot of work, a lot of work. And the agent that we used, um, he suggested un while we were under contract that we um, put in an offer for more money so that we could use uh, some of the money. Okay. So, you know, let I me, guess I should me, be explaining, me, yeah. yeah. I guess you should explain that. Like this. So, and the reason why we, we, we're talking about these deals um, is not really just to, you know, let's just talk about what we got. It's just really to kind of put it in perspective for a lot of you. Um, what happened, you know, how we got in the contract, why we didn't go through with it, and give you guys a perspective um, of all that, you know, to sell it down or whatever. It needed some work. And all that stuff. We were just trying to get on the contract. We're on the contract and did our, our walkthrough of the units and saw what it really was going to need. Like the owner really didn't kind of take care of the property. He didn't so, take care of the property at all. When we looked at the property, I mean, you could see the potential in it because of the area that it was in. And then at the end of the street, there were the same townhomes. Um, the same style that we had, but their the owner that owned those other townhomes had actually um, uh, made some improvements. improvements. The paint outside looked way better. Yeah. Uh, the grass was cut, and obviously this property was the opposite of that. So, <laughs> you know, we kind of went back and forth. The counter offers uh, the sellers was going through some, I think, a divorce or something. So we wasn't getting. They weren't signing the documents. You know quick enough we wouldn't get in certain things we couldn't get into one of the units and so we it kind of killed our spirit a little bit because that was i believe the first property we actually had got on the contract mm -hmm. and it ended up you end up eventually having to back out so fast forward we got to the property in auburn now if you guys listen to the previous podcast i mentioned how we kind of drove by this this property several times several times because always at night too <laughs> well no it was in the morning too because i would go before i go to work i just do a little quick drive through mm -hmm. and it didn't look good you know obviously it was like i said potholes and people out trash around all that crap so when we finally decided you know to get the property put in the offer you know our agent it he put in the offer um 499 000. now one thing i didn't mention 
uh, previously, and I know some people have asked us, you know, you know, how did you qualify for, you know, a property four hundred ninety nine thousand? Yes, we we really need to get into that because you know some people if they say, you know, I got a house and you know it was five hundred thousand, you know, you're like, oh, okay, you got a little money, you know, because your mortgage got to be over about three thousand, and you know, depending on the interest rates or whatever. So, one thing I didn't know uh, mention was. I didn't put Kendra on the loan. And why um, Why was I not added on the loan? I don't act surprised. Well, no, no, no. I mean, people there, want the re- to know. The there reason, was a reason. I mean, there, there was a specific reason why. There was a specific reason. The reason why I did not put Kendra on the loan was because at the time, when we were trying to, uh, you know, kind of fix our credit up, and, and we mentioned about debt-to-income ratio and how good our lender was at the time. Mm-hmm. He had got us just right up under that that threshold that w- that pushed the loan through. So there was a couple things we had to do. But at the time, Kendra had student loans. Oh, yes. I should be Dr. Heathcliff Huxtable. Right. She ain't. You know, let me just tell you. <laughs> With all you know, loans. Yeah, her loans, she should be. <laughs> if there was something, a degree higher than a PhD, she should have it. Yeah, right. Uh, but, you know, in all seriousness, she had student loans. And so... What was happening is that even though she had her student loan in, uh, I believe, forbearance. No, at that time it was deferred. It was deferred. Mm-hmm. So she wasn't paying on it. But because it was still showing on her credit, it's showing in good standing, but it had her payment. It showed her a monthly payment. Now, forget the amount. We'll, we'll go with that. It, like it was high. Yeah, it was high. Mm-hmm. So, so what was happening is that because even though she wasn't paying it and it was in deferment, she, her deferment was was going to end, I think, in like six months after we was closing. Right. And in order for that loan to go through, they need to see that you're not going to pay for it at least 12 months. So what she was trying to do in the process before that, she was trying to restructure a payment plan for her student loan that would drop her payment substantially. So once she comes out of deferment and she starts paying every month, her payment was going to drop. You know, I don't know, three, four hundred dollars per month. So um, and, and just to give everyone, you know, some knowledge, if you are purchasing a, a home or a property, you can go on to uh, my well, I, for me, it was my Fed loan. I could go onto their website and get a letter for the mortgage lender that said that it was this minimum requirement amount. So they have a letter already pre-written for you that you can give the mortgage lender and says, hey, this is the amount that they, you know, this is the lowest amount that this this person can pay. Um, However, at that time... There was an issue, though, with that. Yeah. So because there was an issue because the bank didn't want to take that. And they did. The bank did. The underwriters... The underwriters, let me say, the underwriters. So a lot of times when we say the bank didn't want to, we're really speaking about the underwriter. Because the underwriter is the one that is the end-all, be-all. Yes. If the underwriter don't like something about your finances or that loan, they can decline it and don't nothing go through. Yeah. And so, like she said, she could she she submitted that paper that basically just says, look, I know my payment is this amount, but I'm in deferment and I don't pay that. So you don't have to count that towards my debt-to-income ratio. But what the lender was saying is, that's true, that's okay, but in six months, your deferment ends. So we need to see that you're not going to pay this for at least 12 months. 
So, like I said, she was in the middle of trying to restructure her payment plan for her loan that was actually going to drop it substantially. So once her deferment did end, her monthly payment was going to be pretty low compared to what it was. So all in that, we was going to deal with that. And at that time, it was like, okay, it was kind of holding us up. And so when our lender, our, our loan officer, when he was putting in the numbers and everything, he made it work with just me. Yeah, he really did. And I just want to tell everyone, if there are couples out there that, or, you know, partners that um, want to purchase a property together and one person has more debt than the other, it is an option because I wasn't on the loan, but we were both on the deed. Yeah, she made sure I put it on the deed. <laughs> so she's we still both, on it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, she just wasn't on the loan. I wasn't on the loan. And it wasn't, you know, and, and I think too is, it was very important. We're, we're going through things that we experienced. So at the time that we were going through these things, there were a lot of things that, you know, we didn't know to do. And one of them was with my student loan. So we're just kind of giving you this information as a prerequisite. We know a lot of y'all got student loans, mm -hmm. a lot of y'all PhDs out there. So we just, <laughs> we giving you a heads up. When you go into this, there is some things that you're going to run into and just hopefully, you know, we can give you the information where you don't. So, you know, again, if you got student loans, if they're small enough to pay off, just pay them off and you ain't got to deal with it. Right. If they're not, if they're not, uh, enter, uh, I believe they call it IBR or IDR. IDR. IDR mm -hmm. is, and I believe they. The income-driven re repayment plan, yeah. They stretch your, your loan, your student loan, like 25 years, so it'll drop your student loan. The, like your the monthly payments. payment. So if you can get into that, do that first. Um, if you can't, put a uh, put your loan on deferment or, or, forbearance. or forbearance for at least 12 months. And then that'll get your loan to go through. So that's one of the first things you want to make sure you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you want to make sure that you handle that. And we didn't, honestly, Bill told us to have everything in order. Um, and at first we didn't think there was going to be an issue because it hadn't been, we hadn't heard anything about that. And I don't think our mentors thought to tell us that because they hadn't gone through that. So even though you may be getting advice from us or, you know, other people about, you know, the process of purchasing either a home or properties, um, there's things that we go through or we've gone through that you may never go through. Or, you know, or vice versa. So you want to be very, as we said before, diligent about the information that you're bringing to your lender. They will ask a lot, ask you for a lot of information. And you want to make sure that you are, are you're prepared to, you know, give that information and then you have your ducks in a row um, once you provide that information or once you, you know, divulge that information to them because you don't want it to be a situation like us. Cause some people would have been like, well, no, if I can't be on the loan and we ain't gonna get it, but you know, we had to look at the bigger picture. It's like, it, would you rather kill the deal because you want to be on the loan or, you know, would you rather this go through and just be on the deed? So it was just a decision. I don't even think we hesitated. It was like, oh, okay. If that's what we got to do to get the no, deal, there because, was no argument. Man, listen, I, I was tired of having to go back and forth with that, that, you know, Thankfully, uh, 
I was in the position to be able just to get it on my own um, and, and not have to stop. So, you know, that is one thing I did want to make clear and, and put out there because I'm, I, I, we bought a property, you know, using my income, my but, income only. But how did it work with just your income? I'm going to get into that. Okay. But I just wanted to make you know what I mean? Because some people, they might not feel like that they can buy a $500,000 property, mm-hmm. you know. You know what I mean? I, I did it. Yeah. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't balling. I was making, I think at the time I was only uh, making about f- uh, 50, 52,000 a year or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have a lot of money in my 401k. I didn't have a lot of savings or anything like that. You know what I mean? So, right. and I still qualified. Now, right. how did I qualify? So again, like we said previously, if you're going to buy a house, for those who ever, you know, out there that bought a house, or you looked into buying a house, you know that they're going to ask for all your financials, your bank statements, pay stubs, all of that. And that's how they qualify you for your house. So if they go through all your financials, everything, they say, okay, you you can afford a house up to 250 Then you say, oh, okay, you got your real estate agent, you go out and you look for stuff that's up to 250 The reason why I qualified for that was because not only were they using my income, you know, that I made from my job, in my 401k, the money I had in my 401k, and the money that I had in my account, they also use the rental income that came from three of those four units. Now, why only three? Is because one of the units we had to live in, so they won't count that because you're living on site. So of those four units, they're counting the income from three of those units. And as a matter of fact, they only count up to 75% of the income so if you know three you got three units that's paying a thousand uh, um, a month then you know they're only going to use 75 percent of that so that was extra income that they use with my income i already had to qualify me so if i'm only making 50 something thousand a year that extra income right there might have just added 30 35,000 onto me. So it looks like I'm I'm making 80 something thousand. And that helped me qualify for that. So for those of you that are listening, don't think that you can't do it because we did it. Okay. You know, we qualified just with me. Like I said, just with me. But I did add my wife onto the D. So, you know, she owns it too. Uh, but you know, I took the ding on my credit and I they used me and we got it. Easy peasy. Yeah, but the responsibility lied on both of us too, because I, you know, some you got to think about it, because there's some couples out there that really would be like, no, if we can't both be on it, we don't want to do it. I mean, the responsibility lies on both of you, because when you're coming into it, I think the underwriter too, they take into account, okay, so what ha- what happens if this person gets ill, or whatever. Uh-huh. You know, or if you can't work or something like that, uh-huh. you know, somebody has to be able to take care of this, uh, the borrower's financial responsibility. So you are both taking the responsibility, excuse me, responsibility. And in addition to that, they use the income from the other um, three units. Uh-huh. So, you know, you have to really think about your circumstances and if that's something that you really want to do with that person. Because at the time, again, uh, we were not married. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, that, that was, uh, 
that was something that we had to think about. But I, like I said before, I don't think we thought twice about it. It wasn't, there was never any apprehension or anything. And it, it, I mean, we love each other and of course we trust each other, but it was more or less like, okay, we got, you know, this is our business. So at that time we had to think about that, you know, because that was, um, that's something that will allow us to live the life that we want to live. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's how we acquired it. Um, or that's how I acquired it mm-hmm. just by myself. And, you know, like I said, I have to, I have to say it again that, you know, when you out here and you think, oh, I can't qualify it, they're not just using your income. That building is producing income. If it's a duplex, a triplex, or a fourplex, there is other income coming into that building. So they are going to use it, and they're going to use 75% of that income. Um, so, now... What's I, the next there's nothing word? else that I need to oh, add. Okay, well, yeah, I, I hope I touched all bases. Yeah, on you touched. You got you you got into the thick of it. That's good. That's good. We put that out there. We just you know want to make sure that we're being as transparent as possible. Um, so I think now we need to get into the um the the more or less the purchase and sell agreements, the contracts. Gotcha. So um, if we can. I want to explain to our audience, um, like contingencies and addendums. I'm... Well, let me let me let me say how we how we got it on the contract, and then we can kind of go into all of that. So, again, we made an offer to the seller. The first offer we made was about five thousand, five or six thousand less than what they were asking for. The property had been on the market almost 300 days, but we wanted to get it under contract. So they pretty much accepted our first offer. Now, once we got under contract, we, uh, now, well, let me, let me, let me backtrack. Sorry, let me go back. Before we got it under contract, we had to make an offer on what they call a, uh, you might see it say a P&S agreement, which is a purchase and sale contract. Now, that's a contract between you and the seller. You're making an offer to the seller, and, it, and it'll break down, like, what your offer is. It'll have your name on it, whoever is the, uh, the buyers, um, how much you're offering, and any contingencies. Now. Okay, so the exact definition of a purchase and sell agreement is a document received after mutual acceptance on an offer. So it states everything as far as the final sale price and as Ramon was about to say, any addendums or contingencies that are on the property um, or on the subject property, excuse me. So um, Ramon, I'm sorry. So, no, that's cool. So uh, when you talk about FHA, because we're going to stress FHA. Now, there's other loan programs out there um, like conventional where you can um, get into a house 3% down. Um, some, some lenders will do 5%, even 10%. Um, I believe there's a a new one that's fairly new called the home ready loan. It's a conventional loan. It's a lower down payment. I don't know if there's kind of a competing thing with the FHA or whatnot. They have some similarities, but. And remember that, uh, FHA is government backed Uh and conventional is, um, investor backed. It's not it's not Investor backed by bank. federally, so yeah it's, yeah, it's more banks, you know. Mm-hmm. That's why it's, it had, they have a little bit uh, 
uh, stricter uh, requirements to qualify for a, a conventional loan. Typical conventional loans have 20% down, but there are possibilities to get less than 20% down. Um, like you would with the FHA, FHA typically is 3.5%. Mm -hmm. So, and your PMI, your mortgage insurance, is typically lower on a conventional yes. than it is on the FHA. And now, let me let me state this too while we're talking about it. One of the main differences between the FHA loan and a conventional loan is this: when we talk about your mortgage insurance, FHA. Um, depending on when you bought your house on the FHA, and then I'm going to say if you bought your house after, I want to say 09, yeah, if you had an FHA loan after 09, your mortgage insurance stays on for the life of your loan. So the mortgage insurance rate is zero point, uh, if you have uh, over 95% loan to value, which is usually everybody who gets an FHA loan because you're only putting 3.5% down. So that's a 97, or sorry, 96.5% loan to value. Your mortgage insurance rate is going to be 0.85% of your loan. When you get that total, you divide that by 12. That'll tell you how much you're going to pay per month. And that is called your mortgage insurance. That's your mortgage insurance amount. So that stays on the, lot, on the loan that you have for FHA. That stays on there for life, which means 30 years. You pay that every month. With conventional, the good thing about conventional is you still pay a mortgage insurance. Any if you put down, if your down payment is anything under twenty percent, you have to pay mortgage insurance. So, but your mortgage insurance is uh, typically zero point two five, and it can go up to one percent of your loan. But the good thing about it is that mortgage insurance will fall off. Once you hit 78 or 22% uh, loan to value, it'll just fall off because you gain equity in the property. Whereas with FHA, even if you gain 22% equity in your property, you still pay that mortgage insurance mm -hmm. until you refinance it and get into a conventional loan. At which point your mortgage insurance falls off, you stop paying. So, Back to what I was saying, we got in uh, when you when you got the purchase and sale contract. On the purchase and sale contract, you have what they call contingencies. The contingencies are now the contingencies are future event or circumstance which is possible but cannot be predicted with certainty. So, um, in other words, you're putting things in that contract that's that unforeseen, going, and it's going to it, they're there to protect you. Mm -hmm. Um, and if the seller accepts your contract, there's going to be things in there that he feels is going to protect him or now, her. What kind of uh, contingencies did we put in the in the first contract? Because it was a little bit different than the ones that we put in the Auburn contract, if I remember correctly. For the Cedar um, property in Tacoma, what contingencies uh, did we have added? Well, we, we, they were actually the same because uh -huh. we were still using the FHA loan. So, well, FHA has their own list of contingencies, which we'll go through. But what did we request? Because we requested well, a lot of different contingencies on the. Well, um, the only main contingency that FHA has, which it doesn't matter if you put on your purchase, is financing and appraisal. So, it doesn't matter if it's on your contract or not. 
necessarily, but really it's, it's just an appraisal. Mm. Because once you go through, and you, well, after you do your contract and you go through an inspection and you get past the inspection and you go to the appraisal phase, which is after, let's say you bought the property, you're buying the property for 500000 but the appraisal comes back at four fifty. FHA will not allow that loan to go through. Unless, Unless you come up with, you that come 50, up with the difference, yeah, with 50, that 50000 At which point, if you're doing that, then I don't know why you're using FHA. So that loan, so when you're doing an appraisal, I'm sorry, when you do your contract, uh, normally you will put an appraisal contingency in your contract, which means if this property does not get appraised for what I'm buying it from you for, then I have the choice to back out, get my earnest money back, and go find something else. Or I can waive my rights to that contingency and say, you know what, I'll pay the difference or whatever, and we'll keep going. Now, I don't advise you know to do that, but there might be some people that do it if they just really <laughs> want the property. So some of the main things you want to make sure you have in your purchase and sale contract as a contingency, which are really loopholes for you to utilize to get out of the loan, if you need to. One, like I said, normally is your appraisal. But with FHA, that's automatic. You can put it in there. You can not put it in there. It's automatic. Two is your financing contingency. Your financing contingency is if you go through and you get past the inspection phase, you get past the appraisal phase, and then let's say your financing falls through for whatever reason. Let's say the lender just don't like the loan and they and they say okay we're not going to fund this loan if if anything like happen if anything with your financing falls through and it's out of your control which means you didn't back out you didn't do anything the financing your lender just didn't like it and they fell through and they said nope then you still get your earnest money back and you're not liable to have to go through with that contract so you want to make sure that financing contingency is in your contract and normally, that would be about 30, 35 days because normal loans, you can close between 30 and 45 days. But that's negotiable. You, you, you can put that in the contract. However many days you feel like you need to get your financing. And most people, after 30 days, you pretty much know that loan is going to go through or not. Mm-hmm. Your other contingency you want is your title. When yeah. you have escrow... And you have, you know, not escrow, for some people who don't know, title and escrow, they're the ones who handle all the money in that in that whole dealing. They're a third-party entity, so they are not biased to either the seller nor the buyer. They're just making sure that everything that's needed and necessary during that, uh, during the purchase and sale process is, is, is there. And the title is cleared. There's no clouds on the title, meaning that basically the, the, there's no, the seller is has the actual title to the property that, that they are selling. They are, they are okay to sell it. You know, the, it, it there's no fraudulent yeah. issues or anything with the title. And um, there's the IRS, there's no liens in addition to the mortgage lien. The, the main um, thing you want to know is that title is free and clear. You want to make sure that clear. there's no liens yes. on, as she said, there's no liens on the property, right? Because let's say you go through and you buy the property mm-hmm. and you didn't know that 
the owner, the previous owner, owed a lien on the, the property, taxman. or the taxman, or, or let's say he had a, a someone paint the house and he didn't paint. Oh yeah, construction. Because that lien. was going on a lot in Seattle. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of people that was hiring painters, and they would paint the building and they ain't paying. Ain't paying. And so now, as a as a contractor, he can put a lien on your property. Yeah. So at any point you sell that property, they got to get paid. So let's say you didn't know it. And you bought it, and the title company didn't do, didn't do a good enough search and didn't find that out. Well, then guess who got to pay? You do. So it, it helps for you to find you a good title company, a, re a reputable one, because they're the ones who, again, they're going to do your title search on the, on the property, make sure there's no liens, that title's free and clear, there's no assessments, no easements that you don't know yeah. about that. When you get that survey, you know what property you own, front, back, side, all of that. And the other thing with the title is you're going to have title insurance. So the lender is going to have their title insurance because they want to protect themselves, lending you that money for the property. But then you also are going to have what is an owner's policy title insurance, which means if anything comes back on that title and you didn't already close and bought the house, that protects you from any, any kind of lawsuits, judgments, or anything. So you want to make sure when you buy a property that you do buy and they kind of will put that in there. They, yes, they I will. think FHA ain't not even going to allow you to buy it. And you without don't have owners. Without the title yeah, without contingency, the... yeah, you have yeah. to have that. So those are pretty much the three things that you have to have for FHA is the appraisal, financing, and title. Uh -huh. Those are main things. To be honest with you, you want to have it on any contract in real exactly. estate. Exactly. Because I, I tell them, put it on there anyway. Anyways, and, and Nick, yeah. we didn't even know when we was buying it. Nick was like, well, you're doing FHA. You don't have to have the appraisal mm -hmm. contingency on there. It's in there. It's built into the contract. So they know if this don't appraise at what you're buying it at, you got the option to pay the difference or get your earnest money back and walk away. Yeah, Nick was our first reputable uh, agent that we're speaking of that we used to buy our first property. So he was the one that said that we didn't need the contingencies for, for the appraisal title and financing. He said we didn't need the appraisal contingency, but the title and the financing, we definitely didn't need that. No, no, no. We didn't need to add it because it's automatically on the FHA no. contract. FHA, the uh, appraisal is the only one that's automatic. The oh, title is not. Oh, okay. The okay. title and the financing contingency, you do need to have that in there. Okay. Learn um, something new every Well, I, I knew you needed it. To I add told it, him to put it, though. I said, yeah. just in case. I can't come out with new laws or something. I, Put that in there just in case. Now, so, what other contingencies did we add? Because they were the, you, you're right. I just looked. They were the same for both properties. So mm -hmm. what other contingencies were we advised by our mentor to add to the Cedar uh, purchase and sell agreement and the Auburn? So one of the main contingencies that you need to have, the main one. The one that we requested, not the one that is required by FHA. Well, yeah, I think most of them is required, but one of the main uh, one is the inspection contingency. Right. There you go. So your inspection contingency, if you miss, <laughs> if you forget <laughs> to put that on there or your agent don't say that, oh, boy, you're going to be mad. Yeah. If something Lord. go wrong, you're going to be mad. And I'm going I'm to tell you why. That's why we're here. We're going we're gonna to give you out of game. So an inspection contingency, what that is, is that is, so when you go on a contract, you have a certain amount of days to inspect that property. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing when you inspect that property is that you're going through and you're doing your, your you're going to pay an inspector. He's going to check the attic, the roof. 
He's going to check everything on that property and let you know what's wrong with that property. He's going to give you a detailed report. Now, what it is, is you want to have enough time to inspect that property. So you don't want to say, uh, give us three days to inspect the property. It might take you a couple of days just to find the inspector. They might be busy. Mm-hmm. They might say, oh, we can't come out for three days. There's or, anything. Or a week. Or a week. Depending on the year. They get real busy. So The time of the year, yeah. The time, you know what I mean? So uh, normal time, I would say, is anywhere from seven to ten days. And 10 days, if you can get 10 days, put 10 days, even if you don't use that. But you at least want to give yourself enough time to find the inspector. But look for an inspector before you go on the contract. Yes, so that absolutely. way you're ready. So as soon as you close, the next day you can have him out there if you mm-hmm. need to. Um, and, you know, try to find you a good one. Um, seven to 10 days because you're going to need to get. Now you're giving yourself time to get all the leases. Any of the utility bills, like like we said before, anything that has to do with income on that property, and those tenants, you need to you need to get a copy of that because you need to now go through all of it, and see if you can find any inconsistencies that you need to bring up to attention to the seller that he needs to to solve for you to make you comfortable. Now, the reason why the inspection contingency is so is so valuable and so important. Story time. Story time. Well, well, we, we, we'll tell my first. We, we can give a little story. You know? But the reason why it's so important is because let's say you get it under contract. And let's say you see a lot of stuff wrong with that property. And you're like, ooh, I, we, you know, we, we didn't see this before. Like, you know, the roof got a big hole somewhere that we didn't see. Or, <laughs> you know, the, the, the foundation got some cracks in it, you know. Because when you do an inspection, yeah, absolutely, you can have sight unseen. You, yeah, don't definitely don't do that. You can, but you're you're doing all inspections that you want to do, and depending on your area that you're buying a property, you might even want to do the, uh, you know, you have the flood zone, you know, what I'm saying so you got to make sure you kind of have have that inspected, whatever. But the main ones is, you know, you might want to do a neighborhood. Well, no, not not even that. You might want to do the inspection on the plumbing. They call it the hydraulic testing. Um, or you can do the camera. That what they'll do with the camera, they'll send the camera line. It's a, it's a camera on the long cord, and they'll send that through the plumbing, the sewer plumbing under the house, and see if there's any cracks, anything in that plumbing. You want to make sure there's none of that, because if you buy that property and there is, and something happens, well, that's a lot of money. So that's one testing you might want to do. You might want to do a testing on the foundation, depending on where. Like in Texas, they have they have foundations. Yeah, foundation issues pretty much all over this, all over the state. Yeah, for for a lot of part of the type of soil. Soil, so it's not uncommon to find a property that is leaning, and some of them leaning worse than others. And so you you kind of have to have that foundation checked out. So you know, like I said again, you might have to do that kind of inspection. But you're going to normally get your normal inspector who's going to, like I said, check out your your electrical, your plumbing, your attic. He's checking for mold. He's checking for everything in your roof to see how much life you have left in your roof. He's checking for all of that stuff. So you don't want to get your inspector, and he come back with you, with his report, and he got a, and there's a lot of stuff wrong with that property, and you didn't give yourself enough days in your inspection. Once your inspection period goes by, now if you want to get out of that that property out of that contract it's going to be hard you can't do it because you've already waived your inspection time so if you give yourself five days for an inspection you say oh all i need is five days to inspect the property 
and something happens and you need an extra day, the owner's not going to give you an extra day. You know why? Because if you try to back out on the sixth day, he can now keep your earnest money. Because you just waive, you waive your contingency if you don't uh, dispute whatever your inspection says. If you don't do it before the end of the, the, the special the contingency, the deadline, then you're waiving that. You're saying, okay, I did an inspection, everything was cool. That's why you want to give yourself enough time. Like I said, on a, on a normal one to four unit type property, a house to four unit, you want to give yourself at least seven to ten days. And if everything comes back cool and you still got three days left, no problem. Tell the tell the realtor, tell the other realtor, hey, we're good. Inspection looks good. Let's keep going. So that's the other one main inspection contingency uh, contingency you want on your contract. Inspection contingency. So inspection contingency, the appraisal contingency, the financing contingency, and the title contingency are four major things you want to make sure is on your purchase Absolutely. and sale contract. And again, never. Purchase a property site unseen. That's crazy. If it's a one to four unit, if it's a commercial property, and I know that's even more stupid. So look, <laughs> it yeah. is. But if it's a commercial property and you, I'd no, say it's a no. hundred, two hundred units or no, something like that. I, I wouldn't, you're, no, you listen, wouldn't. I wouldn't buy a bar site unseen. I mean, as long as I have you know property management and stuff like that. I'm just saying, you know, 100, 200 nah, units. She you crazy. Know. Yeah. I wouldn't let her do that. <laughs> I promise you we'll be fighting. Look, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, listen. You know I'm playing. You know listen, I'm right along. I know you're playing. I'm the first listen. one flying out there. So, look, the other contingency that you can have, depending on your area, is, uh, and it's not a major one. You don't have to have it, but some people use it. And that's a, what they call a neighborhood contingency. And what that means is just if, like she said, what if you do the sight unseen? You didn't even go to the property. You have an agent, you're out of state, and you say, hey, go look at this property and, and tell me what you think about it. And they say, oh, oh, it's cool. It's a nice property. You say, okay, write me up a contract. I'll sign it, and let's get that property on the contract. And now, you've never seen right. the property in person. Right. But now let's see. Like, let's say you you on a contract and you fly in town. You say, okay, now I'm going to go to the property. And people hanging outside, they smoking, they drinking. You hear a couple gunshots, and you're like, "Oh hell no!" Yeah. You can now, if you depend on how how many days you put in your neighborhood contingency. Let's say you put three days, five days. You can tell the seller, "Hey, uh, I want to exercise my right on the neighborhood contingency," and you know you don't even have to tell them why. You just say, "I want to exercise that contingency," and you can back out, get your earnest money back, and go on your merry way. Now, I know people are wondering, like, well, why would you need that contingency? Let me explain something. So, Ramon said if you fly out or, or if you fly into the town that you're purchasing the property or your home, um, the reason why that contingency is so important is because of what he said. If there, if you purchase a property, the house is nice, okay? Then refurbished it and you know, redid everything. And it's a beautiful home, but it's in a war zone. Mm. You cannot, you can ask your agent, now what kind of neighborhood is it? But they cannot answer that question. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. They yeah. cannot answer that question. They can't tell you, bro. It's some bloods and crips out yeah, there. Yeah, they cannot they do can't that. say that. That is, that is unethical for them to do that. Um, they could actually lose, you know, almost lose their license because of that. 
And the reason why is because of, you know, uh, well, we know it still happens, but in the past, um, because of redlining. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is very, it, it's against FHA, well, HUD policies, period. You know, that they, that they um, follow that, those guidelines to make sure that they're not being biased to tell you, hey, this neighborhood has good schools. This neighborhood, there's a lot of these types of people that live in that neighborhood. So they can't, um, that's, a, that's a very thin line because a lot of times you can, you can hear it in some people's voices. Um, like with Nick, he was like, no, I know the area when we were purchasing the, purchasing the Auburn property, but he never told us yay or nay, whether it was a good or bad neighborhood. Now, the, uh, one of the other agents actually made a comment about the neighborhood that we were going to purchase in for a property. Remember when um, we went to that one in Tacoma, mm-hmm. that four unit, mm-hmm. and the comment was, well, y'all want to live here, you know, like, it, you know, and, and there were other things said, but um, that's basically why. Just in a nutshell, that's basically why it is unethical for them to um, tell you. Which the, would make it even more stupid for you the not to the see the property, right? What'd you say? It would make it even more stupid if you don't go look at the property. Because Absolutely. if I have agent, I'm like, hey, how's good? They like, oh, it's nice. And it, yeah, <laughs> it, you get like, over there, you're like, what oh, in the hell? So, <laughs> so, you know, but one reason why I say you don't have to have that contingency in there is because you can utilize the inspection contingency for that. So the inspection contingency, there, there could be a, a, a paper on the, on the ground outside, and you could be like, I don't like that. And, and you're still within your time period, you can back out. Yep. And there's people that do it. There's people that and that's a, they do that. You and do not have to give an explanation. You just say, yep. I want to exercise my right to use my inspection. Contingency. Contingency or financing mm-hmm. or pra- whatever. Um, as long as that, as long as that time, as long as, long as, as it's before period. the deadline. Yeah. So if you do seven days and you on the eighth day say, yeah, I'm not cool. I saw something in the inspection report. I want to back out using my inspection contingency. You at that point, you can back out. But you'll lose your earnest money. But as long as you don't go past the days in your special contingency, you can back out for whatever you want to. It could be anything. You can say, man, I, I just went to casino and lost all my money. I can't do it now. <laughs> you don't even have to tell nobody that. You can just say, hey, I'm out. I yeah. can't. Let me, let me exercise my right. So, mm-hmm. um, But one thing is, too, keep in mind when you guys are making offers on a property and you're putting in these, uh, these contingencies, Depending on the market, depending on the property, you're going to have other people competing against you. And as a seller, he's going to go with who offers him, who has the best offer. If you come to me with FHA loan, which I know my property has to be in a certain condition for it to pass the FHA inspection. Inspection contingency? They, 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 if your property got paint chipping, uh, if it's wood and it's rotted on the bottom, a lot of things FHA will not let that loan go through until that's fixed. So a lot of a lot of sellers they won't even take you if you're using an FHA loan. So if you already got an FHA loan and you now want ten days for your inspection, you getting all these contingencies. Some sellers won't even take your offer. They'll take another guy who might be using conventional twenty percent down, who you know may have have your contingencies. He might even have more of your contingency, but he knows that he doesn't have to deal with the FHA. Now, that's not to, you know, I know that I don't want to discourage people from using it. It's just be mindful of that. 
depending on that property. You know, just kind of utilize it as you can, you know, to your best of your ability, you know. Um, so. Yeah, so, okay, um, with our Auburn property, uh, when the inspector went through and listed some things, and then FHA has their own um, appraisers. FHA, they do have their own uh, appraisers or not necessarily because that's one thing we do have to say. Yeah. So your appraiser, you cannot pick your appraiser. Mm -hmm. Your real estate agent can't pick your appraiser. Your, your lender, lender can't pick their appraiser. Pick your now, appraiser. Back in, you know, 2008, pre-2008, that's kind of why we had the housing crash because there was uh, they could pretty much talk to the appraiser and say, hey, look, they we buying, need to pass this. They buying this property for 500000 We need it to come back at 500000 they And they would. And so you got to think, a lot of people was getting their house appraised for this high amount. And then the economy started going down and they started losing jobs. And guess what's the first to go? They're going to walk away from that house. And now, you know, because these people are underwater. You know, if you got a property that got appraised for 600000 and you had all these high rents, and then people start losing their job and they can't afford that rent, and then you're like, well, I can't afford to pay the mortgage. So now it's, uh, it's what they call a lottery. Nobody can pick their appraiser. The lender orders the appraisal, and it's just some random appraiser. They may not even be from the same city as you buying a property. Right. And it's kind of biased. They just they don't they're not cool with nobody. They come in and they do the appraisal on that on that on that property. Um, you know the which the real estate agent has a big part in that because the real estate agent is going to want to highlight the best of that property to get it to come appraised at what you're buying for. Right. right. So, yeah. Right. Just some nuggets. Yeah. So, <laughs> during um, our appraisal process, it was uh, required that our sellers make some minor repairs, of which they barely did. But once those repairs have been done, have been completed, the appraiser will come out again, I believe. They will come out again to make sure that those repairs were actually done. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't have to get into the repairs because, it, it, like I said, they were minor. However, one major thing happened prior to us closing, and that was the fence in the backyard being damaged by a tree. Yeah, I mentioned that in the last And that was podcast, two days before us closing. Yep. Now, anything that happens prior to you completing or closing the deal mm -hmm. is on the seller. Our sellers did not, <laughs> would not um, pay to get the, the tree removed and the fence repaired. So technically, we could have walked away from that property. Yeah, we if we wanted away. to, we could have said, hey, you guys need to fix that, get rid of that tree and get that fence fixed. We're not going to buy this property. Yeah, but we didn't want to hold up closing. Mm -hmm. And they, they didn't pay us back either. No, nah, they didn't pay No, us we now. paid out of pocket yeah, for that. Yeah. And during that time, too, now that I think about it, it's a little off subject, someone did call us. One of the tenants called us and said, hey, we were told that uh, you you're gonna, our newer landlord. Yeah. So these, these sellers were janky. They were janky. Said, Listen, they they were telling the tenants, they, they literally... I want to say, as soon as we got on the contract, yeah. they literally didn't do anything. They didn't do anything. They didn't fix nothing. Every time the tenants say, hey, our toilet is, you know, not working, they, uh, your new owners are going to fix it. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, they were janky. You know, but I really wanted to get this deal. I wanted to get in. I just said, forget it. 
we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. We'll deal and we with did. It. Yeah, you know, and I'm did. glad we did. You know what I mean? Because. And our, our real estate agent, he was like, I don't, you know, he was kind of like, man, I don't know. I have to deal with the seller's agent. I mean, he was just as stressed out as we were, you know, in some parts of it. So, um, yeah, but you want to make sure that the sellers are doing everything that they promised that they would do before you go to closing. I mean, you don't, you know, the circumstances, like I said, are going to be different for everyone. But if you're under FHA and there are things that they're not doing that they're supposed to do, FHA will be like, I don't know who you're going to sell this to, but you ain't selling it to them. And in FHA, you know, it, it, it was implemented, you know, for people to qualify for a home with the lower down payment because, you know, you had conventional, which was mainly 20% down, some maybe 10 and 5. This was just a program, you know, so, and it helps to, for, to keep, um, to not, for people not to get it taken advantage of. You right. see what I'm saying? So that, and you know, because you have some sellers who will try to keep your earnings money. And, you know, we had a, we had that come up, uh, you know, a little bit later where, you know, the seller did not want to, he, he tried to keep our earnings money and we was using the FHA and it was crazy, but yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. That's a, that's a later podcast. Um, so we talked about the contingencies and how important they are during, um, you know, the purchase and sell agreement and what is required uh, as far as FHA. Um, now, are the contingencies significant to the seller? You kind of touched on that a little bit. Uh, does it make, do you think it makes or breaks the deal if the, if the borrower or buyer, aka the buyer, um, adds these additional contingencies in addition to the appraisal, title, um, I'm missing inspection, some. inspection, financing. and financing. So when they start adding contingencies like the neighborhood contingency, and we added one more. I uh, thought we had six of them. There, there was a a utility, a utility contingency. contingency. Mm. So when the buyers start adding additional contingencies other than the FHA, do you think that breaks the deal? It can because if you're in a if you're in a seller's market, like Seattle became, meaning. Seller's market mean when they when you put a market a house on the market, it's selling you know it's going under contract within a week. You know people are buying properties, and so when you're in a seller's market like that, the seller doesn't have any incentive to take your deal with all those contingencies when he might have somebody offering him cash, or he may have somebody you know again with conventional that might be putting twenty and twenty five percent down, and they might waive the inspection. There's a lot of buyers that will waive their inspections uh period they'll say look we <laughs> whatever inspection whatever we'll deal with it so you got to think if you coming in with fha and you got all these inspections uh, or the, all these contingencies it, it, it could it could not get your offer accepted but you can get it accepted it just you kind of have to be strategic and and depending on your market you kind of got to know what you're dealing with you know, and let's say it's a, a property that's in an area, um, let's say that on the same street that you live, you might know the building. You might know it's, it just cosmetically look crap, but you might know the building is structurally sound. And you might say, okay, yeah, let's waive the, consp uh, the inspection cons uh, contingency. contingency because we know, we, know, we, said we know what that building is like. It might be an apartment that you lived in before years ago. So it just depends on what you know about that property and the chance that you're willing to take, the risk that you're willing to take. I, unless I, I, I like to have the inspection contingency. 
I'm like, look, we got to have at least seven days, you know, because I need somebody to look at it. Now, one thing I will say while we're on this subject, if you're buying a house and you get the inspection report back and it's showing you all these little things wrong with the property, with the, oh, with the house. Yeah. I mean, it is. they are really you, nitpicky. And they have to be because they can't leave anything out. You're talking about this is a licensed inspector from the state. They cannot, there's a lot they cannot do. They can't, you know. They can't try to, you know, bamboozle you. They got to tell you everything. Yeah. Now, if you're they buying have to, a, They have to itemize everything. Everything. But when it, like, as Ramon will get into, when it comes to a house and a, a, a property, an actual property, you want to make sure that it's not so itemized. I mean, there are, you know, there are things that they'll list, but... Some things you won't care about when it comes to, you know, a property where you're, you know, that, that we had. Like, we we don't care about certain things when it came to the inspection because this was not our forever home. This was an invest, this is an investment property for us. So, um, Ramon will get into the specifics about, um, about that. Yeah, no, like I said, uh, you know. With a house, you can nitpick because, you know, if you have a family, you, you got kids, you're going to be living there. You don't want it to look like crap. But when you, like she said, you buy an investment property, you have to look at it totally different, which means you can't be like, you can't nitpick on that special report to the seller. Hey, we need you to uh, put put the door stopper behind the door because it ain't there. Um, and they will put things like that in the report. No door stopper. Um, the knob doesn't doesn't lock or something mm. little things that you can fix for under five dollars they will put everything on that report there mm. are some things that are so unnecessary when you're buying an investment property yeah like and you know and when you because the main purpose of that inspection report when you talk about buying an investment property the main things you really want to look for is the capital improvements now when i say capital improvements i mean like the roof you want to make sure that roof is not leaking there's no holes or anything like that, right? Um, you know, the the exterior of the property, you know, if it's a lot of paint chipping or, you know, termites or anything like that, you want to, you know, you want to know that. Um, the, the foundation, you want to know, like, if it's cracking in something, you know, if you're in an area where the foundation is a problem, you want to know that. That, that you know, the big ticket items, that's what you're really looking for in the inspection report. But the little small things like, you know, some paint chipping inside in the bedroom and all that other crap. The, the, the closet door is off track. I want you guys to fix that. You, hey, excuse my language, but you'll piss the seller off. Well, he'll be like, oh, no. He'll back out. You won't have to back out. He'll back out. He'll say, no, we're good. Put it back on the market. Or he may already have a backup buyer. So a lot of you, you might not know that. Just because you go on a contract, the buyer, or the sorry, the seller, they can go up contract, and if you see it online, it'll say pending, which means they're under contract with you, but pending backup seller. So if you fall through, your financing falls through, or you like, hey, you nitpicking with the inspection report, and you back out, they'll have somebody else behind you that'll come in and just take your place and get that property. And and that's okay, you know, because as a seller, you want to get your property sold, and you don't want to uh, waste time with somebody who's not serious. So, you know, we're telling you that because, like I said, when you go to get the investment properties, you have to look at it totally different. I'm telling you because you will miss out on something. You know, 
we we looked at our first property like that. We were like, God, the pothole city up in this joint. The paint was chipping. The the, the gutters had it like the gutters hadn't been cleaned out in two years. No, at all. Or yeah, at all. <laughs> like uh, you know, the roof had caked up moss. Uh, I mean, it was trash everywhere. I mean. It, it, trash cars people i mean crazy. there was a lot of different things going on but mind you this was in a a nice area mm-hmm. um so when we finally uh, did our you know did our inspections with nick after we put down our earnest money we were able to go view the properties uh view the units excuse me individually and, and we walked in them and we we're like man these are these are nice you know the they tenants were tlc yeah the tenants were you know decent people and uh nick was like you know when we were pointing things out he was like no nah, i could find somebody to help you guys fix that don't worry about that that's nothing he was like that'll cost less than 200 dollars. he's like the only thing you guys care about you don't care he said don't worry about how these people live because that was the biggest concern after us <laughs> after us inspecting the cedar property mm-hmm. um he said all you care about is the roof the foundation plumbing electric and there was one more i know i'm missing uh i'm sure doing the main thing and then the main yeah those were the main things he's like you know uh or termites yeah that was the other thing because mm-hmm. that's big in washington state termites mm-hmm. um so, you know, we were we were looking for those things. Those are things that we when we did our uh, self-inspection, because you will do an inspection, um, you know, where you go in and view the property, and then you'll have another inspection where FHA does the appraisal and such like that, because they're kind of they're doing the inspection and appraisal at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you do your uh, inspection and then a lot of times I would always advise people to go when the FHA inspector comes, if you can. Or appraisal, I'm sorry. No, when the, yeah, when the um, well, inspector goes. There's two times, but the one you really want to be there is when you have your, your actual your inspection. inspector. You yeah. want to be at the property when you're getting inspected because he's going through each unit mm-hmm. and you want to be there because you, you when he sees something, you want to be there to ask him questions. Yes. Hey, what's that? What does that mean? Is that serious? And let him tell you. And, and to be honest with you, because we didn't realize that, uh, a lot of spurs we used, like they were surprised we came because they was like, man, a man, lot of owners don't come. Yeah, a lot of owners don't come to inspection. Yeah. He was like, so I'm glad you're here because then I can tell you what I see and what I think that means and if it's serious or if it's not, you know. So you definitely want to be there, even if it's if it ain't both of you on the loan mm-hmm. or whoever. You want to make sure that somebody's there. Yeah, because um, that also gave me the opportunity to speak to the tenants. That's that the other were thing. there too because yep. they, they're um, gonna ask you hey are you buying this yeah well uh, yeah we looking we looking but i did ask um one of the <laughs> one uh, of the tenants you know some things about the property and, and she was able to you know share some information in her experiences which is a nugget because the tenants especially if they think you buying it they're gonna oh, tell yeah. you the real they gonna, deal oh man they're gonna, they gonna tell oh, you they gonna about tell the you. owner which could help you they're gonna tell you oh man the owner man, he ain't fixed nothing and so you know, or you know, depending on what it is, you may be able to use that to your advantage to try to get that property. Yeah. So we we're talking about the Auburn property now, you know, because that's the one that we ended up purchasing. But let's go back to the Cedar property now. When we had the inspection, our self inspection on the Cedar property, we went with which I thought was great too. 
Let's talk. Let's give a little story time real quick. Yeah, this is our story time. Oh, this is okay. Yeah, this man. is our story, story time. Right, so drink. when we went, this is one thing that I did like. Both agents showed up because it might have been a reason for that. Yeah, but, that but who cares? I mean, that's true. That's true. It's it was good for us. It worked for us. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a female agent that was representing the seller, mm-hmm. and then there was our agent. That also came and our agent was, you know, basically like, okay, don't worry about how the people live because when we drove up to the property, you could see the difference between the, the units that we were buying and the other units. Now, mind you, all the units were similar. They're, they're, and now they're all, look. again, they were a duplex townhomes. So it's kind of funny how it seemed like we was all looking at duplexes, but they were it was a four unit because they were on the same parcel, mm-hmm. but they were two duplex townhomes. So they had upstairs, downstairs, two bedroom, I think one and, one and a half, half baths. Bath. So they was pretty cool. Yeah. I was like, man, these are nice. These would be easy to rent. And the location was prime. Yeah, the location was prime. And when they were going to be fixed, as we were you know looking at them, we were like, okay, so if they're fixed up we know exactly what they're going to look like because there were uh, other, you know, units next to them that were owned by a different um, person, a different person. And um, he had fixed up his unit. So we knew exactly what they would look like, the condition they would be in once we, you know, give it some TLC. However, we had to get the spiel because when you drive up to these properties, uh, to our property that we had under contract again this is a cedar property um there was trash outside one lady was a hoarder so her whole life was outside in her yard okay so mind you we viewed four units total but for some reason we couldn't view one of the four. I she mean, wouldn't answer the door. Yeah, she and wouldn't answer the door. You, she, and you'll get that. You'll get when you get on the contract and, and now you get you want to go and look at all the units and you'll get some tenants who are just they, they just playing hard. You know, they don't want to answer the door and all that. And you know, I, I take note of that because I say, Hey, if I do buy this property, you're gonna be the first one to go. First one to go. Um however, uh so when we view the property, the first Remember the first unit we went in? He was clean. It was clean. He was clean. She just had a lot of kids, like a lot of little kids that were her mm-hmm. grandkids, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. But she was talking about things that she, you know, needed fixed and stuff. And it was, you know, it was decent. I mean, we don't live like that, but it was decent. The second unit we went in. It was a guy. In, it was a guy. Remember, he, um, like on the end, he, his, his was the oh, cleanest his was one. clean. Yeah, so there was a his single father. His cleaner than ours. His was, like, was cl- like he was a single father and his was like, his was very clean. Um, and you could tell he was, you know, going to be a good tenant. So while we're doing the inspections of how the property look, you're also taking into account the type of people that are renting there. Now you don't want to be, you know, biased and say, Oh, I don't like this person because they wore pink and purple together. You know, you're looking at them, you know, to see if they are a good tenant, if there's somebody that's going to call you because they hear, see here a squirrel on the, you know, on the roof or something like that. You, you want to make sure that it's the type of person that's going to pay rent on time and uh, take care of the unit that they're living in. So you do have some conversation with them um, just to see what type of person or people they are. Just and this will remember. allow you to take advantage mm-hmm. of that. Yep. 
Um, so the second unit that we view, single father, oh God, his his was the cleanest. I mean, he, he was very clean. And um, he made some repairs, I think himself, mm-hmm. on his unit. Um, the third one, which was the last one that we had seen uh, for the night. Now that was the person that had old bicycle car parts uh all kinds of furniture remember she remember she had trash and stuff on the side of her um unit and her yard you could just tell by looking at her yard what we was about to get into but y'all i'm telling you when we walked in there i ain't never seen nothing like that in my life you gotta wipe your feet to come out of her house so you don't mess up the universe yeah that's how nasty it was it was nasty yeah you mess your shoes up it, it, it was up the earth. It, yeah. It, <laughs> let me say, like, and, you know, it, it's funny because this ain't the first and only time that we dealt with that. But that was the first time because, you know, I ain't never seen nobody in the house like that. And, and it, it was It was sad, and it was just like, <sighs> I don't really want to look at this unit because I just feel like I need to go take a shower. Because, I mean, like, the kitchen looked like it had never been cleaned. It was Ever. food splattered on the wall. she lived there for, like, 12 years. Yeah, she was there for a long time. Um, You, you know, I think it was roach. Roaches. Pieces all over the place. Oh, they Kids. slept in the li- It was too yeah. many people sleeping in the living room. I mean, they were some of the nicest people. We always, anytime we walked in, we introduced ourselves uh-huh. to everyone. You know, because you want to have a rapport with these people again we got the whole spiel. Don't look at how they live. You're looking at pretty much the, the structure of the unit and making sure that there aren't any severe repairs, like any you know leaks or anything with plumbing, stuff like that. So that's kind of what we were going in there for. But me and the seller's agent... <laughs> We didn't last very long. Well, tell them why. Okay, I'm about to tell them. I'm about to tell them. All right. So when you walk in, the kitchen is to the right, and then there's some stairs that lead up to the bedrooms and the um, full bathroom. So we went through um, the kitchen. That was disgusting. I think I just put my like head in there, and I just saw dishes and food and plates mm. and mm. trash all over and I'm, I'm like oh my god i mean it was grease caked up on the walls and this, oh my god y'all i'm about to throw up in my mouth right now and then in the living room you can barely walk in the living room because there was so much stuff everywhere i'm trying to try not to cuss but here's the here here's the uh mm. here's the caveat so you walk upstairs right now in your mind you're thinking this this could be really nice the way you know the the, the mm-hmm. layout of it mm-hmm. you walking upstairs it kind of got that little lofty kind of thing we walk upstairs it's me first then our agent and Ramon was still downstairs but the seller's agent was behind our agent and I immediately looked on the ground y'all and there were women's sanitary pads and they were used they were used laying on the floor just right I there said, in the open oh no <laughs> this inspection is done <laughs> i don't need to see no more she the, left yeah i left the there was there was no more i didn't even i didn't even look upstairs when i saw that the ladies the <laughs> i can hear the lady downstairs telling ramon you know um we didn't get a chance to clean up. No, no, no. That ain't what she said. That's Man, what we she about, said. Nah, Before we left, 
you know, we, we we saw that, and I was like, oh yeah, we out, and I'm, you know, we get ready to leave. And no, you like, you actually went upstairs. I went upstairs because, because I said, Kennedy had to, he said, yeah. no, you guys are buying yeah, this, so he yeah. had to convince you to go upstairs. Yeah. I said no, and then the I seller's said, agent was right behind me. She said, girl, did you see that on the ground? I said, oh my god, I can't. You know, I just couldn't fathom that people would live there like that. Like, mm. I, I don't judge. You're not supposed to be judging how people live when you do these inspections. But to but to think that in my mind, all I could think about is I'm going to have to wipe my feet outside so I don't F up the earth. But, you know, it's, it's, it's real important because, you know, this is an investment. And even though you can't control how your tenant lives, you don't want them living in a way that can hurt your property. And the way that this, this tenant lives... She had a, ro- a roach infestation, which means, you know, roaches can spread. And that costs you money because now you got to go in there and you have to spray. And if she, if they continue to live like that, it's just more money you got to put out to, to spray. And then if they spread to the other units and the tenants don't live like that and they like, hey, man, I got roaches, they might move out. Well, now you don't have the income. You see what I'm saying? So that's important because you like, uh, yeah, you may have to go. Yeah, and, and her their deposit money would never, ever be equivalent to the damage that was done. So it, it, it was, the first thing we thought of when we walked in that unit is she's the first one to go. That's the unit we'll have to live in. That's the unit we But we about in. to gut it out because there ain't no way in here. I'm living in that. Oh, so, but nasty. the funny thing was before we left, you know, we was getting ready to leave. We said, oh, you know, thank you, you know, so-and-so for letting us, you know, see your unit. And she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, y'all. Um, you know, it don't normally look like this. And Ramon said, oh, you did that just for us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, damn. Hey, you know what? I said, you know what? I, let me leave because I don't want to say something I might regret. Because I'm just like, this always looks like that. There's no way that this happened overnight. You, This is how I live. You know what I mean? So, you know, all in all, like I said, it was a good property. We really wanted it. Some things happened. It fell through. Um, but I don't regret that because we exactly. still ended up purchasing the property we were supposed to have that, you know, equated to something better. And, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, we gave you guys a lot of information, a lot of nuggets, you know, as far as contingencies and the purchase and sale contract. Um, you know, we try to throw in there some little stories, some other little stuff, you know, just to kind of give you guys, you know, some scenarios and, and, you know, kind of how things is, is probably going to go. Because, you know, I, again, I've watched, I mean, hundreds of YouTube, listening to all these podcasts, reading all these books. And people would tell you what to do, but they may not give you that step by step. And I think it really helps, you know, because even though, like she said, we had a mentor. But there were some things that he never experienced that we did. And he didn't really know really what to tell us. So sometimes we really kind of had to figure it out, which was good. It helped us, you know. But, you know, we want to put that out there and tell you, you know, because, hey, who who wouldn't want to step by step? And this is how we're going to do these podcasts. We're just kind of going to take you step by step on how we went and bought our first property. So if any of you out there and you actually trying to purchase your first property, you kind of just listen to these podcasts and, you know, pretty much get talked through it. Um, you know, you're going to go through some stuff. You might have some hiccups, um, but just keep through it. You know, and get, the the thing you want to do is just buy your first property. Exactly. Don't, get it don't, under contract. Man, get it under contract. You know, and it, the thing is, it might not even be the best deal, but don't let that discourage you. Don't, nobody, don't let nobody talk you out of it because. And what he means by the best deal 
is it may not it, it may not be like something that you see now um giving you i don't know whatever whatever passive income you want it you know per month if you want three thousand dollars in passive income it may only give you a thousand but it may have you may have bought it with plenty of um equity in it mm-hmm. and it has uh, you know the area has been appreciating so that's giving you far more than that passive income because later if you decide to sell it and it's still you know that area is still progressing and um there's still appreciation there in addition to the equity that you purchased it with oh man you 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 doing pretty good but even if you buy the property and it and it, it goes south and you lose it or whatever you still got to look at it that the education you just got you just right. paid for education yeah. so even if it didn't go right you know what you did and what you didn't do right you can go back and do it again and now you know because a lot of times you can try to pay some of these people and they might not teach you this a lot of people are just going to take your money take your money and, and tell you a couple of things and that's it you yeah know, a couple of things that you can actually find out on, on google. google you know what i mean but you know but like i said there's a lot of people that'll tell you you know the they got that thing called the bird method you know you buy a property you renovate it, you uh, rent it out, um, and then you, uh, who was it, buy? <laughs> I forgot already. Buy, yeah, buy, renovate, rehab, or re, uh, rent it out, refinance, and then repeat. There you go. It's buy, re, re, rehab. Yes, buy, rent rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. And which is a good method because that's really what you're doing. That's really how you you know this game works is that you're buying a property, you gotta buy it right. And you're buying it with enough equity because you know in the end you're gonna refinance it. So you're buying it, you're doing some renovations, you're renting it out for the most that you can get, then you're refinancing it. You refinance from an FHA to a conventional. To a, yeah, to a conventional. So you're using FHA as, as, as your jump start to get you in there. But the end goal is to get out of that FHA because you want to stop paying that mortgage insurance. If you buy the property with enough equity and you know when I refinance, there'll be at least 20% equity in this property, I can get out of FHA, get into a conventional, and then I'm just going to repeat the process. And when you refinance, you're doing what they call the cash out refinance. And you're buying, that's that's why buying a property uh, at a good deal is so important yes, because you're trying, to, you're trying to pull your money back out and then restart the process over again. And that's how that works. And so, you know, that that's out there. But again, people are telling you, you get a property FHA, you rent it out, you rehab it or whatever, you refinance, but they're not telling you everything in between. Cause there's a lot in between that because you know it will we're, we're going to go over it you know it's going to be a lot of podcasts but we're going to give you this step by step because we don't want to have you all over the place and i could tell you about commercial right now and everything we're going through right now but some of you not there mm-hmm. and there might be some people that's already on a property right now and they're like man i want to learn about that hey it's going to take a little time now if you really want to know about it right now email us invest at slowwealth.com Ask me a question, you know. I'll try to give my best answer or hit us up on Facebook, Slow Wealth. Um, But really, we started this podcast for the beginners, the people who thought about uh, investing in real estate, um, who didn't maybe have the the wherewithal, the knowledge, or, you know, know, you're like, man, I just need to get motivated. I hope we can do that for you to get you out there and just start. Just buy something. 
That's all you need to do. I'm telling you, when you buy your first property, it's going to do something to you psychologically. It's going to put you in a different mind frame because now you know I'm an owner. There's benefits to being an owner of a property. Yes, Lord. I mean, you know, income is good. Don't get me wrong. The cash flow is good, but there's tax benefits. There's a lot of benefits to owning your own property. Not a house, but your own property that's bringing income. You know what I mean? So that's really what it's about. And I hope, we, you know, we're giving you all that game and the knowledge. And, you know. Yes, absolutely. Just started. And, and um, is there anything else that you want to add? Uh. We can talk about making an offer and counter offers the next podcast because that in itself is that's a lot of information about going, you know, um, back and forth. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we're going to, like I said, again, we're going to take you step by step. We're not trying to drag it out on purpose. We're not trying to make these podcasts super long just to be talking. It, there really is a lot of information that we have and that we're still learning. That, you know, we're, we're trying to give you little by little and then for it to not be too much, you know, so you guys can kind of follow along. Um, like I said, if you already uh, are out there and you got 20, 100 properties, listen in, you know what I mean? Or give us some advice. Give us some advice. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know shoot, we take it, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, but the people that just start now, this is really what we did it for because, uh, like I said, I've looked. And I haven't, I have not yet seen people that really, really break it down and go into detail about how to get started and little things that you got to watch out for. Because I'm telling you, we made a lot of mistakes. We done been through a lot of stuff and some stuff was funny and we made it. I'm like, dang, I wish we didn't have did that or, you know, and it's like, okay, let me write it down because we can get this to people where they won't have to go through that. Exactly. So each one. Reach one, teach one. Each one, reach one, teach one. Right, there you go. That's new. <laughs> All right. So we went over uh, what is a purchase and sell agreement. And a purchase and sell agreement is the document you receive after after mutual acceptance from the buyer and the seller. Because that the agreement is between you, the buyer, and the seller. Um, of a mutual acceptance, which states the final price and all terms of the purchase. Now, um, Ramon spoke of contingencies contingencies are uh things that you know are cannot be predicted with certainty so if you see a small leak underneath the sink you say oh my god we need to put a a contingency in there for this you know because this could be a a bigger issue later but it doesn't become a bigger issue you want to make sure that you have that contingency in there to cya and we all know what that means contingency in other words is insurance. Is insurance, exactly. That's all it is. It's exactly. just insurance to keep you protected so you're not a SOL. Exactly. And then we'll later we'll talk about addendums. But in addendums are as they sound, you add that to the contract. So it's a document that's added um, to the original part of the agreement. That's if you need to extend something. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll get into that um, when we talk about making the offer, which will be our next podcast, our sixth podcast. Thank God for Jesus. And uh, <laughs> uh, so the contingencies, uh, to go back con- to contingencies, let's go over those again. Uh, the requirements for FHA contingency is financing. Well, let's not just say... Uh, no, no, no. I mean, we want to talk about their requirements, and then we, we'll talk about the ones that we recommend in addition to that. Well, 
when using the FHA again we're gonna go back over there real quick using the FHA again the appraisal contingency is really built into the contract without you having to put that contingency right. in but like I said me I just like to see it on there anyway but <laughs> you want to make sure <laughs> yeah that was funny though you was like no but uh we want to add this and Nick had to keep telling Ramon it's already in the contract look it's right here you know can uh, you read this you know, because we were doing some things by email too, so uh, under hood, you he know, was he was very, me. very like gung ho on getting it. that. Get, he wanted to see it in there a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth time. Listen. But again, to CYA, you want to make sure that information is there. And again, CYA is cover your cover your a own ASS. There you go. Okay. And listen, <laughs> I was saying just in case he was wrong. I want to make sure we put that in there. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, let's say he was wrong, he's not going to pay you for it. He's going to say, oops, my bad. So I make right. sure we cover. Put that appraisal contingency in there. You want to make sure you got the financing contingency in there. You want to make sure you got a title contingency. And you want to make sure you have the inspection contingency. Those are the four most important contingencies that you have. We cannot stress that enough. And listen, let me tell you, if you got an agent, that try to convince you otherwise. Get another agent. Get another agent. I'm telling you right now. And I'm real good again. Inspection contingency. That's because you want to be able to back out if there's something on that property that you just do not feel comfortable about. Comfortable about. If your gut telling you, ah, you want to make sure you got that. You can use that and back out, and you don't lose your earnest money. Title. You want to make sure that in case there was some liens or something on that property, and they did a title search, and it still comes back, you want to make sure you cover. The inspection, uh, the, the financing contingency, if something on that loan happens and the lender, you know, decides not to fund that loan or something and it was out of your control, you want to make sure you don't lose your earnest money on that. And, you you know, you can use that financing contingency. Hey, my lender don't like the loan or whatever. I got to back out. I don't lose my uh, financing money. And then appraisal, if you buy that property for 500000 and it appraises back, it at comes back at four fifty. You like, uh, well, I ain't gonna bring you fifty thousand. Why would I pay you fifty thousand dollars more for a property than that's worth? only worth four fifty? Yeah, so again, you want to have the option to exercise that in contingency and back out. And again, with FHA, they won't even allow the loan to go through. They'll what happens is the owner has a choice you uh drop the price of that property down to what is appraised at, or you just walk away. You get your earnest money back, seller puts it back on the market. Now, one key thing, real quick, we, we want to tell you with the FHA, which is kind of it's kind of cool. If you're the buyer, it's good. If you're the seller, it kind of sucks. When you go on a contract with somebody that's on FHA, and let's say you do the appraisal, and let's say you're under contract for five hundred thousand, but the property is appraised at four fifty. If the seller says. Well, I'm not gonna drop my the price of my property to four fifty. I don't care what that appraisal say. Oh yeah. If you back out, if the if the seller backs out, say nope, give him his earnest money back, and you going, you going, that appraisal stays on his property for six months. Yeah. So anyone that tries to purchase that property after you've put it under contract and it appraised at a lower rate, that that's a negotiating tool for that next person. They they know that hey mm -hmm. even though you trying to sell it for five hundred thousand it's only worth we know that it's only worth four fifty so that that's kind of an incentive for the seller to drop the price 
because now he's already had you on a contract until that appraisal time because you got to think once you go on a contract your inspection is seven to ten days and then after that then you're going to order your appraisal sometimes that takes a week or a week and a half to get your appraisal and then you got to wait for the appraiser to give you the report back so now you're probably already three three and a half weeks into the deal and now if he backs out the seller he got to put it back on the market and if he puts it back on the market People might be looking like, well, hold on. Why did this property come back on the market? What's wrong with it? Mm, what's wrong with it? That's the first So thing they're going to be think. asking questions. So he's taking a chance. So it's kind of more beneficial for him and more beneficial for you as a buyer that he drops the price to the appraised value. And that's when you get into counter offers. I, I think we should leave it there because counter offers that's a perfect place to end it i'm telling y'all there's a lot in that we're gonna we're gonna get into it it ain't over yes get into it <laughs> it ain't over it's a lot to it so you it know is. yeah uh yeah again we we putting a lot of stuff into this we ain't trying to drag it out but we want to make sure we don't leave nothing out and we'll make sure we get all of y'all everything you need to succeed yeah we're gonna be very specific or pacific <laughs> yeah, specific Puff. Pacific. So, you know, hey, that's how we're going to do it. So, did we cover everything? We did. We covered everything. As I said, you know, I make sure that um, I ask him questions that I think that the good people want to hear. And if you do have any questions, um, again, we are Kendra and Ramon with the Slow Wealth podcast. Uh, podcast. So, you can email us at invest at slowwealth.com. That is I N V E S T at S L O E W E A L T H dot com. And or, and or hit us up on Facebook. Facebook, y'all. And we are on Google. Oh, yeah. So definitely subscribe. Yes, definitely Man, subscribe. Man, please subscribe. So every subscribe. time we put out these podcasts, you ain't got to do nothing. It's going gonna, it's gonna to let you know. We on iTunes. Subscribe. We on Spotify. We on Google Play. And and you can get the podcast on, on Facebook. Go to our Facebook page. So you, you subscribe. They're going to let you know every time we put out a you know a podcast and you can listen yes, to it. Yes, and leave Comment. us comments and reviews and love us. Don't just like us, love us. Subscribe. we need that fresh, uh, positive energy. Man, subscribe, comment, and leave a review. Or that's no, subscribe and review <laughs> and hit them stars or whatever you got to do because we need this to get out there so more people can get this. Yes. They can get this game, they can get this information, you know. We, you know, we ain't just doing it just because we ain't got nothing to do. Yes. With all that said, success is stumbling from failure to failure within, uh, with no loss of enthusiasm. So make sure that good people you are staying abreast with whatever your dreams are. Don't allow anyone to disturb or deter you from your, your calling. As, as I've said before to Ramon, our first four weeks of this podcast, just to relive some of these things, it, it's just truly amazing where we, where we started and where we are now. And I know that some or a lot of you will be doing much greater things that we could have ever fathomed. And even if there is only one person or two people that get inspired by our podcast, Man, that that is an inspiration within itself. But again, success is stumbling from failure to failure within, uh, excuse me, with no loss 
of enthusiasm. So always make sure that you you believe in you. You're 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 giving yourself that positive energy. Um, keep going. Don't yeah, stop. Yeah, keep going. Don't That's stop. It. Can't stop. Won't stop. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we're going to leave it at that and we're going to see y'all next week or you can listen to us next week and uh, we're out we're out thank you I'll add you peace